The sermon this afternoon is based on the Word of God as the church has summarized it and confesses it in Lord's Day 45. You can find that on page 554 in the back of your book of praise. Lord's Day 45, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must, from the heart, call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery, so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that Although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us, and then follows the prayer with which we are so familiar Brothers and sisters, after the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 34 again, this time the verses 4, 6, and 7. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 45, we come to that section of the Catechism which instructs us about prayer. And I'm sure that to very many of you, the words of Lord's Day 45 are very familiar. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness that God requires of us, or as the older version of the Catechism has it, the chief part of our thankfulness. We know that we should pray, and that prayer should be part of daily Christian living, and that we should have joy in that, joy in this kind of communion with God. And yet, many of us struggle with praying. There are so many questions we could ask. Does it really make sense to pray? Since God is omnipotent, and he decrees everything that will happen, why should I pray? Will our prayers change God's mind? And since he knows everything anyway, why should we ask him? He knows already what we need. But prayer, brothers and sisters, is not an option. It's something God requires of us. Why is that? Well, it's because he has established 
a relationship with us, a covenant of love through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command from the God who wants us to trust in him for all the things that we need in this life and the life to come. It's a command that comes from the God who has offered up his son on the cross and who shares with us the gospel of salvation. He desires to have communion with his children. Our Heavenly Father wants to have an intimate relationship with us. And he has given us this gift of prayer so that we may communicate our love and our praise to him. But that does not come automatically. And there's much that we need to know about prayer. And so the Catechism devotes eight Lord's Days to explaining the Lord's Prayer. And this afternoon we deal with the first one of those Lord's Days. The theme for this sermon is this, prayer is a Christian's offering of thankfulness to God. It must be offered, first of all, with the proper motive, secondly, with the proper attitude, and in the third place, with the proper content. Question and Answers 116 begins by telling us that God requires our prayers. That's repeated in Answer 117, where it states we must ask God for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. And Question 118 repeats that thought again. What does God command us to ask of him? Three times in this Lord's Day, we confess that we are commanded to pray. You might ask, what does command and prayer have to do with each other? Didn't the Catechism just finish explaining the Ten Commandments in Lord's Day 44? Well, congregation, there is a strong connection between the Ten Commandments and prayer. In question and answer 115, just before Lord's Day 45, we are given two reasons for why the law is preached so strictly. The first is so that we would become aware of our sins and so be driven to Christ. And the second is that because of our inability to keep the law, we would be driven to pray for God's grace and for the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we might be renewed more and more in the image of God. You see, brothers and sisters, both the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Days on Prayer are in the third section of the Catechism, the section on thankfulness, how we ought to be thankful to God for our deliverance. And what is thankfulness? Well, thankfulness is obedience. Obedience to God. Jesus Christ said it himself, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But we know that we are not capable of doing that on our own, and we're not capable of doing that perfectly. In fact, of ourselves, we're totally incapable. And therefore, we need God's grace and Holy Spirit to renew our hearts and our minds, to bend our wills so that we become willing and able to serve God. And in His wisdom, our Heavenly Father has decreed that He will give us that gift of obedience only by prayer. 
It is through prayer that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Someone might object, well, how can that be? Is faith not a gift of God through the working of the Holy Spirit? How then can the Catechism declare that God only grants His gifts to those who ask? Is asking in and of itself not already an act of faith produced by the working of the Holy Spirit? Yes, indeed. But the one does not happen without the other, congregation. The Holy Spirit and the desire to pray both dwell in us at the same time. As soon as God's Spirit begins to dwell in our hearts, He also works the desire to pray. As soon as He dwells in us, we have the desire for more. You could say that the Holy Spirit is given, received, and desired all at the same time. We are also commanded to pray for the increased presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that prayer is something that must continue throughout the life of a Christian. Do you realize then that praying for the Holy Spirit is the most important thing that you can and should ask of God in your prayers? For without the Holy Spirit, we can never love God above all and our neighbor as ourselves. Without the Holy Spirit, we are incapable of the loving obedience that is required of us. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ would be of no value to us. It's so easy to ask for other things. We have so many needs, so many petitions, when we come to our God in prayer. But do you pray regularly, brothers and sisters, for the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives? Earlier we read from Luke chapter 11 together. There we read, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. These are some of the most abused words ever spoken by our Lord and Savior. Many Christians think that these words prove that prayer is some sort of magic formula that we can use to get whatever we want from God. But then we need to read a little farther. Verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? What, bread? Money? No. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's what Jesus is talking about when He tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. The greatest gift that you can ever imagine is the grace and mercy of God that comes to us through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the means by which the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross come to you. And that is why our prayers need to focus on thankfulness and obedience. That's the proper motive for our prayers. Thankfulness and praise for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and petitions for the Holy Spirit to enable us to live for God's glory and the benefit of our neighbor, to be closer to God, to know Him better, to love Him, 
to honor him. And so we have to understand that in order for prayer to be an offering of thankfulness, it must have the proper motive. And that's also why it's so important to pray in the right manner and have the right attitude when we pray. And that's our second point. The next question in this Lord's Day asks, what belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by Him? Our praying must be a prayer that is well-pleasing to God. The first concern is not us. Prayer is not so that we would feel pleased with ourselves, but it must be pleasing to our Father. It must honor His name. It must glorify God. And those kind of prayers are pleasing to Him. They are heard by Him. And so the opposite must be true as well. There are prayers that are not heard or answered by God, prayers which are not pleasing to God. If we think that God is not listening, perhaps we need to do some self-examination. And in order to have prayers that are pleasing to God, the catechism helps us. It gives us three criteria to follow so that our prayers would ascend to the throne of our Father in heaven. We read, first we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. So first we have to have the right attitude toward God. We must pray from the heart in sincerity. That means not out of custom. That means we don't just rattle off a prayer without thinking. That's not praying. It's easy to fake a prayer or to make a wordy prayer. And prayers like that, sometimes they're just intended to impress others. And that's just lip service. But it takes more than that, more than just praying from the heart, for we also confess in Scripture that the heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17. And so the Catechism adds that we must pray to the one true God. That's the key. The one true God. Now we might ask, really, don't we know that already? We aren't pagans. This is our confession. We don't pray to Mary or saints. Why do we need to be told this? Well, the answer lies in the words, who has revealed himself in his word. How many Christians claim to pray to God but only know about him and don't really know him? The God who has revealed himself to his people in love and covenantal faithfulness. The God who is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, who controls, who governs all things, who stands far above us in holiness. The God who cannot abide evil and the God who hates sin. There are so many Christians who just talk about the love of God and about his grace. They paint a one-sided picture of God in their minds, a God who is some sort of grandfather in heaven or a Santa Claus who smiles at everyone. 
Of course, we can't go the other way either and, and paint God as if he is only a judge, the judge of heaven and earth. But we must never separate God's justice from his mercy. It's so true. If it were not for the grace of God, we would not exist. We wouldn't be here together in church, and we wouldn't even want to pray. But if we ever dare to forget that God is more than a God of love, that he is also a God who hates sin, that he is holy, almighty, the creator, the one and only God of heaven and earth, the God who holds the whole world in his hands, if we forget that, brothers and sisters, then our prayers will fail to reach him. If we do not address God with the reverence and fear that he deserves, our prayer will go up like balloons that pop long before they reach the outer limits of the atmosphere. Prayers that address, that address God without the reverence he requires, they become demands instead of offerings of thankfulness. Then God becomes someone to manipulate instead of our Father whom we ought to praise. Then God becomes a good buddy in the sky instead of our Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we may never diminish God's grace, but neither may we diminish His justice his holiness, and his sovereignty. How then should we pray? Well, we can learn from the Psalms. They are full of God's praise. They sing of his mighty works of creation and redemption of his grace, yes, and of his wrath. So often, so often we approach God with just a list of things that we need. And when we pray, we're, we're filled with our own needs and desires. But it's because we forget who God is. And we even dare sometimes to pray without hope. We think prayer is some last-ditch effort to get what we need. If all else fails, you can always pray. If we're honest with ourselves, isn't that how we sometimes treat prayer? And then it become sort of like a gamble. But that's not praying, brothers and sisters, because that's not what God wants to hear. That's not the kind of prayer that pleases him. And that's because the thankfulness is missing in those prayers. Prayers without thankfulness, they are not offerings of praise. The only way for us to have those right kind of prayers is to know God and to know him as he has revealed himself in his word. For if we don't know God in his majesty and power, we can't know him in his grace. And if we don't know about his grace and love, we can't know about his justice. It's only when we know him as he is in his justice and his love that we can be truly thankful to him. And when we know God in that way, then we can also have the right attitude toward ourselves. The Catechism continues, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. We must be humble. And that only comes by acknowledging our own needs and misery. 
And here we're confronted not with material needs, but not the needs of daily food and shelter, but a spiritual need. We have to thoroughly know ourselves. I'm sure that we're all ready to admit that we're sinners. But how thoroughly do we know that? What does the Bible say? Does the Bible come with some sort of feel-good message about yourself or, or a health and wealth gospel that's peddled by so many false preachers today? No, the Bible tells us something quite different. It tells us that we are despicable sinners. There is nothing inherently good in any of us. There's nothing inherently pleasing in ourselves that would make our prayers rise up to God like sweet-smelling incense. In fact, the opposite is true. We are all guilty before God. And we all need to fear His wrath against sin. Yes, I know, we just heard about grace a little earlier, and we'll get back to that again in a few minutes. But it's vitally important, congregation, that we really come to grips with our own sinfulness. We might like to think that it's somebody out there who's the wicked one. But listen to what the Holy Spirit says in Romans 3. Are we any better? Not at all. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we, as we confess elsewhere in the Catechism, even our best works are defiled with sin. Does that truth impact you, brothers and sisters? Because we confess here in Lord's Day 45 that that's what it takes to have God-pleasing prayers. We have to thoroughly know our needs and misery. God will only hear our prayers if we are thoroughly humble before His majestic presence. We need to have the same attitude that that tax collector had in, in Luke 18 that we read about. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Brothers and sisters, have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever cried out to God for mercy because of your sins? Or do you think that's going a bit too far? Is it even fair to compare ourselves to a tax collector? Well, brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with collecting taxes as long as you do it honestly. It's an honest job that way. The point is, though, that this man was humble. He didn't even dare to pray in the normal manner of those days by lifting up his hands and his eyes toward heaven. But he knew. He knew who he was in relation to his God. After all, he was a Jew, a member of God's people. He had come to the temple. He came there for a reason. And he showed himself to be unworthy before his holy God. The Pharisee in that parable, on the other hand, had a totally different view. His entire prayer was just about me, myself, and I. He wasn't praying to God. He was telling God, God, you better be pleased with me because look what I'm doing. 
I tithe, I fast, I'm not a sinner, especially like that guy over there, that tax collector. Do you see what he was doing? Or rather, what he failed to do? He did not humble himself before God. He did not acknowledge his need and his misery. He did not confess his sins. Instead, he was boasting in himself. And our Lord Jesus said that that other man went home justified, forgiven, because he humbled himself before the majesty of God. He knew he didn't deserve a thing. He knew that God did not owe him anything. And that is how we need to approach our Father in heaven as well, congregation, as sinners in need of forgiveness, knowing that God doesn't owe you anything. And do you depend on and trust in the mercy of God? Because that must be included in our attitude as well. The Catechism goes on to say we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. We must have faith in God and trust in his mercy through Jesus Christ. In other words, we must have the attitude of faith because in the final analysis, we can't depend on the manner of our praying. After all, we remain sinful people and our prayers are never perfect. And that is why we need to depend on the work of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ redeems us from our sins. In his one sacrifice on the cross, he presents us before the Father, justified. And his blood also redeems our prayers. Our prayers are rooted in Christ's intercession, and they are perfected by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And that is also why we can be sure that, God's, that God hears the prayers of his children. And when we pray, we should never think, I sure hope God hears my prayer, because that would be an offense to him. For when we pray to the one true God, and we recognize his holiness, and we ourselves remain humble, then if we pray in faith, God will always hear us for the sake of Christ our Savior. We may be sure of that. Take marriage, for example. You know that God desires marriage to reflect the love Christ has for the church. Then if you pray for that same love to exist in your marriage, and your prayer is addressed to the one true God, and your attitude is one of humility, and you're praying in faith to Christ, do you th really think that God would not answer your prayer? And do you think that he would not answer this positively? We shouldn't shortchange our Father in heaven. We must, of course, pray within the bounds of what he has commanded as the Catechism says, for everything he has commanded us to pray. No more than that. 
The next question and answer puts it more clearly. For all things that we need for body and soul. What that means is that we must trust God within the bounds of his promises. When we do that, then everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. But when we ask beyond what he promises, then we shouldn't expect to get what we ask for. And yes, it's also true that we don't know ahead of time how God will answer our prayers. But when we pray, we may and we should trust in God to provide for our needs. And he will provide in his time and in his way. Perhaps we sometimes have to wait for a long time for an answer. But we trust the one true God. And we remain humble, confidently expecting that he will hear our prayers for the sake of Christ. And so all prayer must remain within the bounds of God's command. And that's why we're also told what to pray. And that's our final point. Our prayers must be offered with the proper content. But that doesn't mean, congregation, that our prayers are restricted or that they are limited. We are commanded to pray for all things necessary for body and soul. So the scope of prayer is indeed very wide. And when we follow the example that our Lord Jesus set before us, we can see that the scope of prayer covers all of life, our lives, our families, even our enemies, the world and the church, the kingdom of God, everything. First, we are concerned with the sanctity of God's name, His kingdom, and obedience to His will. And our, spirit, our spiritual needs come first. And then we turn to our physical needs. But there's nothing missing in that prayer. Often, we tend to pray too little. We forget to pray about certain things or we think God isn't really concerned with the little things in our lives. But that's not the case. Do we not confess in Lord's Day 1 that every hair on our head is counted? There is nothing too great or too small for our Heavenly Father to take care of. The following Lord's Days explain this in more detail. He is Father after all. And as our loving Heavenly Father, He wants to look after His children. And so it really does make sense to pray. Yes, it's a command. But as children of God, children who love their Heavenly Father, prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness. But it's also the way in which we become closer to our God. The way in which we get to know Him better love him and to honor him. And that's why he has given us this beautiful gift of prayer, so that we may communicate with him and so receive from his bountiful hand all that we need in this life and in the life to come. Amen.